This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this Mathisode, Simpsons Paradox. Imagine you're watching the news with someone. You see that for the seventh straight day, there was a shooting in New York City. Your friend turns to you and says, wow, New York is really violent and crime is up this year. Because you read the news, you turn to your friend and say, well, it's actually worse per capita in rural communities by a lot. You're more likely to be the victim of a crime in, say, Pella, Iowa, than you are here in New York City. Your friend seems to accept this notion, but in reality, you're both wrong. Victims of a statistical loophole called Simpson's Paradox. The loophole helps explain why per capita statistics don't tell the whole story and why correlation and causation are so complex. And in the real world, it can help us stop pandemics, advance equality, and even gamble on sports. And welcome to episode 47 of Game Theory, your podcast and my podcast and our podcast about competition strategy and decision making. Chris, uh, the last time we dropped an episode, we're going weekly now, the last time we dropped an episode, you just turned 29 years old. So how does it feel to be still in your 20s for your third third year in a row? feels really great. I'm finally hitting my stride as a late 20-year-old. You know, when I was young and unwise in my mid to late 20s, I thought, you know, this is kind of the end for me. But now I realize it's just a whole new beginning of more late 20ness. Uh, yeah, and you're, you're crushing your late 20s, of course. I think um, you're going to do all the cool things like not buy a home, uh, have, have yet to save enough money for retirement, all the cool things that us millennials are doing. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually just praying for the housing market to crash so I can just go ahead and scoop up a really nice house. Speaking of graphs going up and down, we've got a math episode today, and I think the fun part of it, what we've decided to do is with some game theory episodes, they are kind of generic game theory concepts that are just cool and, and nerdy stuff about genuine game theory and math explainers. We've done the stag hunt, we've done the traveler's dilemma, I think is my favorite game theory concept. So we're going to do another one of those today. This is a statistical kind of anomaly, which is really fascinating. But before we get to that, Chris, I, we do have one of our uh, listeners from Denmark. Wish you a happy birthday. How cool is that? What do you know about Denmark? Denmark is one of my favorite countries. Uh, I think it's the home of Sandy Toskvig, the host of Great British Baking Show and QI, the British quiz show. So obviously a huge fan of her, I, although I think she might be originally American. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the true origin story of Sandy is, but Denmark seems like a really great place. Uh, seems like a lot of like coastline water related activities there. I don't know. I've never been. I'd really like to go though. Uh, and so I appreciate the shout out. It means a lot to me. Yeah, I think um, it's really cool to have listeners at all. I think we should just kind of yes. <laughs> um, Hi, mom. Yeah, I, it really is like not something that we were expecting in, in any way at all. So we appreciate that. The only thing that I know about uh, Denmark and the, the guy that, li- that wished you a happy birthday was Paul Johnstone. Uh, shout out to Paul. I know that uh, Christian Thanks, Erickson Paul. had a cardiac arrest during a soccer game and then had to be revived back to life. So that's that's my knowledge of Denmark and 
and and the Danes. So that was scary. If you don't remember that, this episode is brought to you by the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be. We'll do. Maybe we should do an episode on the World Cup and how to bid on stuff and cheat and get get events. That'll be. Uh, that'll oh, be man. good. Okay, so I just learned about. I just learned about both sides betting recently. Yeah, you heard about that? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Could be dangerous. Yeah, no, don't and don't play. Don't ever play systems. It's just like the stock market. Just no. use the data and make a choice. That's that's how you gamble on stuff. Remember, all of this is available on YouTube. Uh, we have a channel. We're doing more clips. All of our hot takes that you're like, I can't believe more people don't get mad at Chris for thinking that daylight savings time is sweet. I actually like it a lot too. But uh, I, I, look, I mean, man, I'm telling you, everybody loves it in the fall. It was great. It was great. And also, like, in the, I like it in the summer because the golf industry makes like a hundred million dollars a year on it, which supports like hyper local economies. It's super important. Hundreds of millions of dollars in golf. Anyway, I digress. We're talking about math today, and remember, all of this, interact with us and all of that. We did have, oh, wait, before we get into the episode, we had one interaction on Spotify. I said during our uh, quiet quitting episode that Goldman Sachs and other firms in New York would have to pay a huge tax rate if their buildings weren't occupied. I have, we got asked for the source for that. I can't find the source, so I have downloaded the New York City Manhattan business tax code, and I'm going to find it. (laughs) I know that it exists because I remember that it was on social media and I remember people were talking about it and I can't find the fucking thing. So and so you let Twitter write you a check that your research capabilities I would cash. never cite Twitter without citing Twitter. This had to be something far more reputable like Reddit or TikTok. I, well, I, look, I believe you that it was more <laughs> reputable than Twitter, but yeah. uh, good luck with that. Uh, that's that's what we call a uh, a, a one-player a solo level. Mm, yeah, so this is a uh, this is a Netflix kind of game. This is a freemium game. <laughs> My side. By the way, I started playing that Trivia Master the other night. That's, that was so fun. It was so fun. Trivia Master on Netflix is just a trivia game that you use your remote to play on Netflix. I wait, It felt like I was in middle school staying up all night playing video games again. It was, oh, it was awesome. awesome. It was nostalgic. It was great. 10 out of 10 recommend that stupid little Netflix game. Okay, Simpsons Paradox. This is a, a, a statistical mathematical conundrum that is helpful to explain two really big concepts, which is that sample size and per capita stats are weird on one side. And then on the other side, that uh, correlation and causation are two different things, which everybody knows, everybody says that, but you can really screw up your brain if you, if you don't know how to look for it. Well, I think it's best oftentimes to, to illustrate Simpsons Paradox with an example. And there's examples aplenty on the internet if you just Google Simpsons Paradox. Uh, so I'm going to start with a famous one on batting averages. We're, we're sports people, and you know, to the people out there who are not really sports fans, I'm going to ask you to uh, be the bigger person sure. for this episode. Put that aside and consider the numbers because mm-hmm. we're going to be talking a little bit of, of math here. So I'm going to illustrate right. this with a famous example right off of the Wikipedia page. Uh, so Nick, if I were to tell you that in the year 1995, David Justice had a batting average of 253, and Derek Jeter had a batting average of 250. Mm. And then the next year, in 1996, David Justice's batting average was 321, and Derek Jeter's was only 314. If I were to tell you that in both 1995 and 1996, David Justice had a higher batting average than Derek Jeter, who would you say had the higher batting average overall in 95 and 96? Well, based on the numbers that you're giving me, I would say justice. Based on watching TV, I would say Jeter. So, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, for the first time in recorded history, Nick's very often wrong vibes are correct. And <laughs> and that's because of this mathematical paradox. So, so between, over the combined years of 1995 and 1996, Jeter 
had a higher total batting average than David Justice, even though in both 95 and 96, David Justice was better. And the reason for that is that the statistical analysis done in those years doesn't look the same in a subset of the data as it does at the larger set. So I'm just going to read the exact definition of Simpson's Paradox. This is an example of Simpson's Paradox. I'm going to read what it is uh, from Britannica. So Simpson's Paradox is also called the Yule-Simpson effect. Mm. In statistics, it's an effect that occurs when the marginal association between two categorical variables is qualitatively different from the partial association between the same two variables after f- controlling for one or more other variables. It's not like a bunch of mathematical gobbledygook. Mm. Basically, what it means is that the the whole, the, 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 sh- the pattern of the overall set of information that you're looking at does not necessarily look the same as the smaller components of that set. Yes. So the way I like to explain it when we discussed and prep for the show, the metaphor, or I guess the scenario that I came up with was if you had like a Hollywood squares kind of situation and there were a hundred people in their own little squares and they were all flipping coins and they were all supposed to flip a coin a thousand times, like this is a hundred times a thousand is like a hundred thousand, right? I don't know, whatever it is. I don't really care. Stop it. Doesn't matter. The point is, if you look at one of these rooms while someone's flipping a coin and you just take that subset of data, at any given moment, someone could get 31 heads in a row. So you think, wow, heads are, the, the coins are not 50-50. Their heads are, appear to be, you know, this is like someone has 60 heads and, and 30 tails. But if you look at the whole picture, all 100 people flipping coins, you're like, well, that guy had 31 heads, or 31 more heads. This person has 31 more tails. The entire picture, over 100,000 uh, data points, is going to be far closer to 50-50, it's exactly like like rock, paper, scissors and why best two out of three is the most important because you could theoretically even it out over time with rock, paper, scissors. If we do one rock, paper, scissors game, it doesn't mean you're better or that rock always wins. It means we played once and someone has to win or there would be a tie. Yeah, exactly. So like like breaking that down into a smaller subset doesn't necessarily lead you to the same conclusion. So there, there, this website from, uh, it's uh, towarddatascience.com. Uh, somebody wrote this, this guy named Tom Grigg wrote this article kind of explaining Simpson's paradox. And he says it's like a really interesting thing. And the way he states it is that some trend that exists in some set of data, when that data is put in, when that those data are put into groups, that trend reverses. Or it looks exactly the opposite. And it's because the sample sizes are smaller or in some way different from the larger whole. So let's go back to the the, the David Justice, Derek Jeter thing. So yeah. Justice has a higher batting average in 95. Yep. He has a higher batting average in 96. But for those combined years, Jeter's average was higher. Right. How is that possible? Well, it's because the sample sizes for those years are wildly different. So in 1995, David Justice went to bat 411 times. And he hit 104 balls, 253 average. So over 400 at-bats for David Justice. In 1995, Derek Jeter, on the other hand, had only 48 at-bats. I don't know what was going on. I don't remember if he was just, like, not that good or was he injured or whatever the deal was. really young. He was young. Yeah. He might have been new on the scene. Yeah, he was, he, he was, he was a young guy. At the, but he had, like, somewhere close to, like, a tenth of the at-bats that David Justice did. Right. So that percentage, that, ma- that mathematical operation you do to divide the number of hits by the number of at-bats, that doing that statistical analysis across those years isn't going to lead you to the same conclusion because the sizes of the data that you're working with are so very different. So then let's fast forward to 1996. The reverse trend kind of happens here. So Jeter in 96 had 582 at-bats, probably because the Yankees got so much farther in the postseason. He was healthier longer. Who knows? Uh, 
On the other hand, David Justice, who had 400 bats the previous year, now he only had 140 at bats. So this time Jeter has like five times the amount of at bats that David Justice, or like four times the amount of at bats right. that he did. So again, the sample size looks different. So even though the percentage with those that mathematical operation of doing the division of hits by at bats results in a certain calculation. You cannot extrapolate that out for the entire combined data set of 95 and 96. And the reason for that is that the characteristics of the sample size you're looking at are not exactly the same as the whole sample size. Right. And this, this seems super obvious, but we keep hammering it home because it, it can really get in your head. So the, say if you're asking the following question, which player do you think should hit at second or third in the lineup, right? Derek Jeter and David Justice are both fast. They're both good. They're professional players. And you're like, well, the second player in the lineup needs to be someone that can hit, but also someone that doesn't screw up. So that means I, batting average and on-base percentage is going to matter the most to me. So if you look at batting average, you're like, okay, which person is more likely to get a hit? And you look at batting average from 1995, and you're like, well, David Justice is more likely to get a hit. You're like, okay, well, 1995 to 1995... Fair enough. If you look at the combined two years, 1995 to 1996, and you're trying to ask, answer the question, who's more likely to get a hit? And you just look at the previous year's statistics, the answer is very clearly, well, David Justice. By 1997, you can't look at the years individually. Like, well, he hit 331 in this year and then 300 in this year. Well, no, combining the two things, Derek Jeter, if you're going to turn on a Yankee game, in, the, in 1996, Derek Jeter is more likely to get a hit than David Justice, even though the yearly averages uh, would indicate the opposite of that is true. And the reason for that is because when you look at an average as the statistic, instead of what the average is telling you, we treat that as like an absolute fact. Well, David Justice is a 330 hitter. Well, no, David Justice has gotten a hit 33% of the time in 1995. He had 40 at-bats, so he had 15 hits. That's not the same thing as one in three times he's going to get a hit. Yeah, I think the real takeaway that I'm getting from this is like you you have to be rigorous and you have to be disciplined with your statistical analysis. We've said before on the show that you can't just look at the average right. of something and assume that that behavior is going to continue or that it's somehow indicative of some larger trend or some degree of reliability. It's not. It right. just isn't. There, there, there isn't enough information packed into that simple mathematical operation of basically just doing division across a set, a, a small subset of data to be able to tell you who is or isn't the better hitter. And you know, while, while we're in baseball, I, I think the clearest illustration of this comes in the postseason. Mm -hmm. I mean, Moneyball, whether you know, player three, go back and check out the Moneyball episode. We, we talked a long time about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in that episode, we brought up that the trends that develop over a 163-game season or whatever mm – -hmm. That the, the averages that pan out, the trends that develop during that season, may or may not carry over to the postseason. So when, you're, when you want to rely on a good, solid hitter who's going to get you those on-base percentages and those runs and those statistics, when you're trying to develop a whole set of information, you want somebody who's consistently reliable, even if they go through slumps, even if they have to self-correct. You want somebody who's going to get you to a certain statistical threshold. When the postseason comes around, you don't have 162 games to develop those trends. You have like seven. Right. So when the player, when the chips are down, the players who are better at the game are going to mm -hmm. be more competitive and they're more likely to win. So play, teams that barely squeak into the playoffs, like the Philadelphia Phillies this year, mm -hmm. they weren't right. statistically very good. They weren't really even competitive with the Houston Astros, but right. they made it all the way to the World Series. They won the National League pennant and they competed hard in the World Series. Right. And it, it, that's like that's just like a cautionary tale where you shouldn't rely on statistics as some past indicator meaning as a, a predictor of future results yeah absolutely and I, I think that uh, and on this show we do the, the two kinds of sports episodes that we do are like a, a 
an episode about like a sports thing that's happening, or we use sports to jump off and help it explain life. So let's get into some of the practical applications of this. And I want to segue to James Holzhauer, the guy that uh, broke Jeopardy, and he did it by using a lot of yeah, We're, we're going to segue from sports to sports betting. Right, exactly. So then we're going to get from sports betting to like death, and we'll get into that in a moment. <laughs> but like some of the, because the practical applications <laughs> we're, of this We're going to run afoul of the mob for trying to fix a match. Correct. They prefer uh, uh, waste management. But <laughs> sorry. so sorry. what James did is in Jeopardy, he broke Jeopardy by doing daily doubles and all this kind of stuff. He's a statistical guy. His profession was sports gambling, which, uh, by the way, if you do baseball and college basketball, you can make a living at sports gambling as long as you don't give a shit about sports and just look at the spreadsheets and understand the math because it's totally possible. Yep. There are a handful of people that are able to do it. Do not use the system. You don't have connections. Just do no. the math, okay? So what James does is he bets in the game. So let's just say, theoretically, Notre Dame is playing Navy, which happened this weekend, and Notre Dame is expected to win the game by seven points or more. If Notre Dame gets out to a lead of, say, I mean, I don't, this actually happened. I think it was like 24 to nothing. doesn't matter. They're up big. So at halftime, they're up 24 to nothing. The game is halfway over, and they are already covering that by significantly more. Halfway through the game, casinos will say, all right, well, now Notre Dame is favored by 17. They're up by 24. We think Navy's going to keep it closer, but we think that they're going to win by at least 17 points. What James figured out was just because a half of football has been played, it doesn't mean jack shit. The game of football is 60 minutes. So just right. because Notre Dame is up now doesn't mean that that is indicative of the final score at all in any way. We've all seen huge comebacks. We've all seen this kind of thing pan out over time. The, the game of football is 60 minutes. So James will see the casinos move these bets halfway through the games and he'll say, bullshit, just because Notre Dame's getting the breaks and playing well in the first half does not mean they'll play well in the second half. And this weekend, I believe they were up by multiple touchdowns and they ended up winning by just three points. So if you're James Holzhauer, you would have made an egregious amount of money betting that Navy would have kept it close because the game of football is 60 minutes. But if you just looked at the middle through the second quarter when Notre Dame is, is scoring all these points, you think, oh, well, this is dumb. This is irrelevant. But the game is not played over five possessions in the second quarter. It's played for 60 minutes or five and a half hours or whatever it is on Saturday. So when James bets that the sample size, it will not be indicative of the final question, which is super important to understand because just like the Vegas sports books, people really want the trend to be the case. And that's, it, it, it is almost never the case. And it certainly doesn't tell the story. No, it doesn't. And it, it's, it, I, I think it highlights the importance of intuition when trying to look at data. I mean, a lot of people yeah. advertise, like how many companies companies do you know that are offering services that are like data-driven mm. or based on analytics or sabermetrics or whatever kind of you know, newfangled, you know, big data crunching buzzwords you can trot out. That's very important to do. You cannot ignore the data. But that said, you also can't ignore the data. <laughs> and what I mean by that is like just following data blindly like breadcrumbs is not necessarily going to lead you to the same place if you consider a larger set of data. Like like each each group of data that an analyst can look at is a finite dimension. Uh, it's 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 a finite representation of mm -hmm. a larger set of information that may or may not look the same. And you know, you're talking about like regressing toward the mean. I mean, if if Notre Dame is favored by X amount of points and they're ahead by X plus ten 
then regression toward the mean suggests that over time, the numbers are going to even back out and they're actually going to give up 10 points in the interim and they're going to you know, kind of approach X. Right. It's, it's just like your Hollywood squares coin flipping example. I mean, regression toward the mean suggests that over time with enough coin flips, we're going to get a 50-50 distribution, even if some sets of that data are wildly skewed, like 90% in some cases. Right. So... I think it's 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 just important to to take caution there and 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 you know maybe one way we can kind of illustrate the way that subsets look different than the whole is by comparing it to a mathematical construct where subsets look exactly the same as as the whole. Uh, Nick, are you familiar with fractals? Uh, I did click on the Wikipedia page. I did pass Calc two ten years ago. Ten years? Did you pass Calc two? Oh yeah, C plus man. It was uh, I did it as a personal challenge, and that was stupid. I didn't even know you took Calc two. It was not an enjoyable time. Well, kudos, uh, <laughs> player three. Send Nick some get well cards. I'm sure he's still recovering from that. That was the last math class I took. I didn't learn math again until I learned about uh, Reddit in as a professional. <laughs> well, we're about to do, we're about to talk for a little bit more about math. So so where yeah. where Simpson's paradox is a it's a mathematical phenomenon dealing with statistics like average like operations like averaging and, and taking medians and all that kind of stuff. A fractal is a geometric shape containing detailed structure at arbitrarily small scales. And what that means is if you zoom in on what a fractal looks like, so like, like picture like a snowflake, basically. A snowflake has a bunch of like vaguely hexagonal, triangular kind of shapes to it. And as you zoom in on that, it starts to look similar. Once you get to a certain scale, you can basically see the vague outline of like the rest of the snowflake in that. This is best represented uh, kind of visually, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but there, there's this thing called the uh, the Coke snowflake. Yeah. Uh, the Coke snowflake is this, this kind of recursive set of basically triangles stacked on top of each other. And as you zoom in on these smaller and smaller triangles, they become larger. And lo and behold, once you zoom into a certain point, the smaller triangles become the same size as the original triangles. And now there are smaller triangles that are kind of scattered about. And no matter how far you zoom in, you can infinitely zoom in on this thing. A fractal is always going to look the same uh, to itself as itself. So it's called in mathematics, it's what you would call a self-similar mathematical construct. Each right. one of the subcomponents that you find, and no matter what scale you're at, is going to look the same as the broader subset. Yeah, so you, the, of, this Coke Snowflake is like a screensaver, right? Like you're zooming in and just like you're going deeper and deeper and deeper into space, but really the stars are just, it's just the same thing over and over again. Like you can, it's like a loop. Yeah, yeah. So instead of a, a random pattern of stars, it would be like a regular repeating pattern of geometric shapes. And, yep. and, you, and it doesn't have to just be like triangles and hexagons. I mean, it's, it's all examples. kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, the golden ratio has an example of, uh, of a fractal relationship. So have you, you ever seen a nautilus spiral? Like mm -hmm. those big uh, those shells that kind of like zoom in yeah. farther and farther? Let's be, let me be clear. All the fee heads out there, save your emails. I know what fee is. It's fine. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm on your side, actually. I'm a, I'm a big golden ratio guy. This yeah. is a golden ratio podcast, whether Nick likes it or not. That's true. So we're, we're, we're golden ratio, 1.618. Give me that one plus or minus square root of five over two. I'm, I'm here for it all day. Yeah. Okay. So the, this fractal situation, it's, it's like a, I mean, this is a larger question. Is math discovered or was it invented? But these things occur in mathematical principles. For example, the, the, the Simpsons paradox is a way to kind of illustrate like what a fractal is. And like at a certain point, it just looks like itself. But Simpsons paradox, while it appears like that from the outside, as you zoom in, it's not that way. 
Right, exactly. And and that's the paradox is that the mathematical system of like something regular and repeating like a fractal or a nautilus spiral right. or the example that HowStuffWorks.com uses, uh, this guy, Lewis Fry Richardson, who is an English mathematician in the 20th century, uh, he wanted to study how long the English coastline was. And he figured that like, okay, the coastline length that you get depends on the length of the measurement tool. If I have like a 10 meter measurement stick and I go around the English coastline, I'm going to get a different number than if I have a one meter measuring stick or a centimeter measuring stick or whatever. And so as you zoom in farther and farther, the vague shape of the coastline looks the same at smaller scales as it does at the larger scale. Because we're all okay, just grains so of sand, man. That's it. We're all just sand in the wind. We are, dude. So that kind of mathematical construct is not the same as Simpson's paradox. That's what makes this a paradox because you think, okay, we're just doing mathematics. We're doing data analysis. We're looking at raw numbers. We're comparing them. Small subset. All right, here's the trend. Another small subset. Here's the trend. Put them together. Boom. Suddenly the trend reverses. That is a paradoxical phenomenon that you wouldn't expect. And I think it illustrates the importance of understanding, number one, statistics is a different kind of mathematics than other like regular repeating uh, like, like fractals or mm-hmm. like you're going to get different data analysis. And number two, it's important to be rigorous and not over extrapolate and not over interpolate. You can't over interpret the data that you're looking at. They do not speak for themselves. It, that's not the end of the story. And there, there are a bunch of real world examples of that as well. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, let, let's get into some of the real world examples and we'll jump off with the sports metaphor and then we'll turn it into medicine and, and epidemiology and crime statistics and things like that. So if you're watching a game of football and you see Derrick Henry, the running back for Tennessee Titans, has 200 rushing yards and he's carried the ball 20 times. It's very simple average. On average, when Derrick Henry runs the ball this game, he's going to get 10 yards, which makes you think when I watch, he's going to have a bunch of yards between a bunch of carries between eight and 12 yards. When in reality, the majority of his carries are between three and four yards, but he's had two carries that went for 50 yards apiece. So when you when you look at the statistics and think, okay, every time he touches the ball, he gets about 10. That's not true at all. There were a couple outliers that made this jump up. If those outliers hadn't happened, right, then his average would be significantly lower. However, as we extrapolate further and we see, well, he does this exact thing 20 times a season. So on average, he's going to have about 10 yards per carry. But how many carries of 10 yards does he actually have? Is 10 the number that we can land on just because we look backwards at the data? Or would it be more interesting to see like, okay, well, how do we replicate the carries that were 50 and 60 yards? Or would it be more interesting to look at the carries that were unsuccessful below the 10 number and think, how do we make these better? So as we extrapolate that into like crime and per capita and epidemiology, first of all, I think just a side tangent here, just a little, not a side quest, a side offering, a spirit guide. (laughs) Mini we quest. should have merchandise, and we should have a shirt that says "Don't mean shit." But like <laughs> mean is like italicized. Shit. <laughs> do you get it? Because of average, I do get that. Okay. Yeah, that's well, an now average that quality shirt. Yes, I think that we should have player three. Don't mean shit. Okay, so now with Derrick Henry, is he going to get a carry of fifty? Is he going to get a carry for two yards? Doesn't matter. Per capita statistics, we are all well aware of them because every two years, uh, politicians shove crime rates down our throat and then COVID happened and we all learned about population data. And well, sort of, some of us learned the words of population data and now per capita does not mean the same thing in Manhattan as it does where we were born and raised in Southwest Wyoming. Yeah, no, I I mean, I I think one of the most dangerous things that people can do when trying to do like any kind of like social analysis or political commentary or any of that kind of stuff is have their arguments start and stop with per capita statistics. You guys, 
go back and listen to our episode on networks. Like it, it, it does not scale linearly. Like you, you cannot, you cannot consider what happens in a densely populated urban area to be the same as what happens in a mildly populated suburban area or a sparsely populated rural area. It does not scale linearly. So one of, uh, one of the more contentious uh, statistics that people point to when considering questions like this is like, what's the per capita crime rate? So right. on the one hand, you have a lot of people from like rural America or what they might uh, unre incorrectly described as real America. And they'll say, wow, cities are so dangerous. Look at all the crime that happens here. Look at all the murders. Look at all the stabbings. Look at all the carjackings. Look at all the, like, there are a lot of crimes that take place in cities. The response to that almost always is, well, if you look at the per capita crime statistics, cities are actually much safer because there are fewer carjackings per person or stabbings per person or murders per person than there are in, in like city, in like New York or DC or wherever, than there are in rural areas. Like it's actually statistically much more dangerous. You guys, player three, that is an incredibly stupid argument. It is a deeply flawed understanding of what the data say because it lets tries to let the data speak for itself. Like you can't you can't analyze this the, like the safety of a location based on a single number. And so let's explain that. The number of, the, the the network episode we talked about like right. if if you were you know, you're the reason your friends are more popular than you is because the second order connections in a topology in a network the, it's a three dimensional folded structure. It's not like each next each person in line in a network adds just one other connection or just two other connections. Like it's not a linear growth. It's an exponential growth. And so that's why those second order connections are always going to be much, much higher than the number of first order connections. Similarly, in a city, the number of events that take place, so the number of people that are going to be around an area when an event takes place is always going to be much higher than the number of people who are going to be around when an event takes place in a rural area. And that's because of the shape of networks, because the way like cities are much more densely populated, there are just more people around. Right. So like if you frame it in terms of like, all right, well, there's a pool of a hundred thousand victims in the city and only two of them were victimized. Whereas in this rural, rural town of you know a thousand people, there are only a thousand potential victims and two of them were victimized. Like, wow. Yeah. That's, it's so much more dangerous in the rural area. If you consider it in terms of like how many crimes happen per day, mm. it tells a very, very different story. So for a, for a real example, uh, year to date, there have been 114 carjackings in the city of, uh, of Washington, according to uh, D.C. Metro Police. So 114 okay. carjackings have happened in 2022. So one so almost every other day, almost, right? Not quite. Uh, I, ballpark. We're recording this in mid-November, so, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know when the last time they cook, they they took those data were like what year to date actually constitutes, yeah, yeah, but sure. there have been 114 of them. Uh, Green River, Wyoming, has a population of light something well, like okay. I don't know one twentieth, one thirtieth of the population of yeah. of the District of Columbia. It's about 10,000 people. Sure. Uh, there have been zero carjackings, but if there's one, suddenly the per capita crime rate goes through the roof, and right. so a fool would look at that data and say like, well, you know, of all the people who could have been carjacked, you're more likely to be one of those people in Green River. Well, okay, mathematically, by using that that particular operation, that's true. But the Simpsons paradox tells us that you have to be more rigorous, you have to have a better intuition with what the data actually means. So like per day, a carjacking is likely to happen before the, the weekend hits. We're recording this on a Tuesday. 
A carjacking is likely to happen in D.C. before the weekend hits if past data are indicative of future future events. A carjacking is unlikely to happen in the next decade in Green River because they just don't happen that often there. So per capita information is going to give you a different conclusion than like per day rates. So you can't like compare these things apples to apples. Frankly, the argument over whether like cities are better because they're safer or cities are worse because they're more dangerous. That's a stupid argument. Americans should stop trying to like, should stop reinforcing that divide and should start understanding that people who live in cities live differently than people who live in rural areas. It's not a competition. Uh, And you know, people, crime should be dealt with everywhere it exists. But the, the, the point for the episode here is that Simpsons Paradox makes like should stop and make you think like okay what other information can i get besides just taking this simple average this one mathematical operation dividing the number of crimes per people cannot tell me the full story here so you have to take a more rigorous mathematical approach and you have to look at the whole system because the trends at the micro level might look different they might in fact be the opposite of trends at the macro level yeah, and this is true for is, the the statistical paradox makes sense, and a lot of people, of course, will adjust for this. I use the the, the example of Derrick Henry. We know that it, in podcast statistics, when companies like Anchor and Lips and these behind the scenes companies that that publish your episodes, when they break down statistics, they kick out. Pardon my take, Joe Rogan, Caller Daddy, The Daily by the New York Times, NPR, because they're like, well, these are such statistical outliers. They're so popular that we don't know what the average person is listening to because fucking everybody's listening to those. And they also kick out a bunch of little ones, mostly made by bots in China and, and whatnot. And like, okay, we'll kick those out. What, what are people actually doing? And if you don't make those adjustments, that's where your per, per capita and Simpsons paradox outlier kind of stuff can happen. Right. So if you look at using the example of, of, of Green River versus Washington, D.C., our, our hometown versus your now your hometown. Um, yeah, Oof. good for you. <laughs> uh, so like you said, if there's one carjacking, the per capita rate goes up. Well, during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, there was a paper written by WTAF. Uh, I want to get the name which right is, here. Which is very, very funny. <laughs> awesome. WTAF Silva. Uh, wrote a paper saying per capita death <laughs> infection rates should be avoided in international comparisons. Yes, because it's the exact same thing. New York City, the major tri-state New York City area is like the fourth largest city on the planet. There are 18 million people that live in Connecticut, New Jersey. New, like the New York, the state of New York City is 18 million people. So the per capita death rate is incredibly important for the people that are like living on top of each other in these buildings. If the per capita death rate in Green River, Wyoming is zero, and then it's one, at that point, it's not even per 100,000. It's per 10,000. Yeah, that's one of the things that was, that's confusing. It's like, okay, you know, you're you're the C, imagine you're the CDC. Mm -hmm. You have to track some kind of data to be able to characterize what the pandemic looks like at any moment in time, because what the pandemic looks like is going to dictate what your response should be. But it's not really appropriate to do that at a nationwide level. And, and, and you know, that one of the key statistics that, that the CDC used and continues to use is transmission rates per 100,000 people. So like how many people out of a sample of 100,000 have COVID? Like you said, that kind of measurement statistic, like that yardstick works really, really well in places that have a lot of people, like in urban right. areas. Like that makes a lot of sense. Even at a statewide level, you could, you could make an argument that like this particular political entity 
as like defined by its state boundaries has X number of cases and X number of people. So per 100,000, there are so many people with case rates. Right. But when you go to a place like Wyoming, Nick, there aren't any places that have 100,000 people in no. them unless you drive for hours across the other end of the state. Yep. So when you're comparing per 100,000 case rates, it doesn't make sense. You're actually inflating what the data look like. Correct. And as we, as we just talked about, as we've talked about before with the topology of networks, those second-order connections, those second-order transmission rates, which are likely to be higher, there are fewer connections there in sparsely populated low sample sizes than there are in densely populated high sample sizes. The transmission data are much more critical to understand and characterize, and they're important to know on a, on a per-person basis in tightly packed rural, urban areas, and they're not as much in rural areas because it just it just doesn't make sense. Like you're using the wrong tool to try to fix whatever the problem is in a given system. So when you learn about per capita statistics, I think that's like a that's a case of like a mathematical hammer that a lot of people carry around and they're they're always looking for nails. There are plenty yeah. of nails for them to find, but a lot of times like that's just not the right tool for trying to understand what this system is based on the data. Yeah, and it can it can it can be incredibly distracting. And like we mentioned at the top of the episode, the other big problem here is correlation versus causation, which everybody seems to understand. And I am a big proponent of the scientific process, and I, I try to remind people that it should take decades to figure shit out. That's, that's took, good. It's very it's very controversial yet I, brave. I know. Position. It took decades, partially because of collusion, but also because it takes time for math and science to work itself out. It took decades to definitively prove that cigarettes caused cancer for a lot of people because you can correlate people that have cancer with cigarettes. And there are outliers of people who smoke till they're 95 and they don't get cancer. So at that point, you're like, well, that one anecdote is indeed enough for us to need to ask the question further into the future. So taking the COVID example, one big part of this is when you look at per capita death rate, when you looked at Detroit and North Jersey, which are two of the cities that originally were on fire with COVID before, like early into the mat, like before people had masks and you looked at the death rate, what you found was that black people had more adverse outcomes and were dying at a higher rate compared to their white counterparts in those cities. The correlation and the causation can be two completely different stories. And when you muddy those waters by using per capita death rates, you can't get to the root of the issue. We still are in the process of figuring this out because if, if a group of people are experiencing more adverse outcomes, it could be for a number of things. In this case, it could be either A, that black Americans with African descent are either more likely to die of COVID for some reason that we don't know scientifically, or B, they are not treated the same way by hospitals and healthcare systems. And I'll be honest with you, the more we learn about genetics, both of those seem like incredibly good explanations here. Both need to be investigated. But if you look at the trend and say, okay, it's because uh, uh, black Americans don't receive the same level of healthcare, like there's probably quite a bit of statistics that'll support that. But if you ignore the genetic possibility here, you could continue to screw uh, a black population when, when it comes to infection outcomes. So you have to investigate both. So correlation is not causation. And if you just take that sample size, look at, look at the black Americans in Detroit, like, is this a Detroit thing? Is this, a, is this a genetics thing? Is this a money thing? Is this a location thing? Is this a job thing? What is happening here? You can't just look at the graph. Yeah, and in the same way, like, in the same way that you can't extrapolate out from a smaller set of data and expect the same result to happen, you can't ex just take David Justice versus Derek Jeter in right. 1995 and expect that to always be the trend. You similarly can't look at the macro trend and assume that that's going to carry over to all subpopulations. So 
it's it, the 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 overall trend for an entire city may or may not carry over to to majority black neighborhoods. It may or may not carry over to different subsets of the population. And so Simpson's paradox is a really useful thing to keep in mind when understanding data because you can't just assume that what you're looking at is going to always be true. It's not like a fractal. It's not going to look self-similar. It's not going to be identical as you zoom in and look at smaller groups. You have to treat each group individually and like have bring a degree of rigor with you to to the data analysis and have an intuition for for what other factors could be at play acting on the system at a micro level that don't carry over and extrapolate to the macro level. I think that's a really excellent example. And, and it's important not to, as you said, muddy the waters with simplified per capita statistics. Like you really got to dig into the information and identify what what does the full trend look like? And then what do the smaller subsets of this trend look like? And where do I need to be careful here? So it's so a really, really useful thing to keep in mind, the Simpsons paradox. Yeah. And I think um, one of my personality traits and, and one of the reasons that I kind of like journalism is I have a high bullshit meter where I'm like, I don't know about this to the point where I become hyperbolist, which is annoying, <laughs> yeah. but it's also really helpful. You got a high bullshit meter in the way that you're always full of shit. Yeah. Well, the, 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 in my, my opinion is that if an average, whether this is in sports, games, stat, like literally anything, if you see an average and you're like, that's kind of weird. That's not kind of my experience. Like, for example, if you're a Yankee fan and you're watching the Yankees and then you see David Justice had two years here where he was better than Jeter, but I've watched six Yankee games this year and I don't think that's true. Any any time an average or a per capita stat raised your eyebrow, like, oh, that's weird. That's not what I would have expected. That's probably not a sign that you were wrong. It's probably a sign that you need to ask more questions. Because yes, you're, the using, size, you're using yeah. true information to draw incorrect conclusions, and that's because you're not asking enough enough or the right questions, or you're not treating a larger system as you should at a smaller level. Like, you're, you're, you're missing something when it comes to analyzing and understanding what the data are telling you. Right, and uh, <laughs> it's so weird, our American education system, Chris. Do you remember in fifth grade, maybe, when they really taught you about mean, median, and mode, and you're like, well, the average is the one that everyone uses. Like, well, the other ones are pretty important. Yeah, so much. Yeah, yeah let me hit you with an average fact. On average, the average human person has less than two legs. What? Oh, my God, that's true. Because yeah. of averages, they can't all have two legs. Yeah. So you, would if, need, so you would need as many people with three or four legs to cancel out the people who have one or zero. Correct. So a fool would take that information and say like, oh, yeah, the next person I meet, they're probably going to have fewer than two legs. That is a great call. Speaking of uh, averages, Chris, and like, like, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about the podcast. What we need to grow the podcast is on average listeners to tell five of their friends and then every one of those friends tells five of their friends, but they also get them to buy into the show. Yes. For a nominal fee. And then five, five, five payments of five ninety nine. Five ninety nine. Five ninety nine. Well, this is a this is a fun math episode. We're gonna do more math episodes. We've got the uh, I want to do Baron's Law. The whole it first digit thing is gonna be fun. But these are fun. I like the I like our math episodes. Yeah, it's fun to learn new things, isn't it? Yeah, especially when uh, you really didn't pay attention to math except for that one time in cocktail. It's never too late to learn. 